I think roller derby is a hopeful thing. He earned enough money from selling plants that he paid off the mortgage on his house. People always want to know, uh, you know, is that a lie or is that the truth? I completely disassembled this Triumph TR6. I wish I could have been a professional woman soccer player. I'm Martha Woodruff, and this is The Spark, an exploration of interesting people doing interesting things. According to its website, Charlottesville's Victory Hall Opera offers a pioneering new model for an opera company, placing the creative reins in the hands of the one who knows opera best, the singer. And yowza, but can co-founder Miriam Gordon Stewart sing? Australian-born Miriam Gordon-Stewart, who has sung and still sings all over the world, is currently appearing in the Victory Hall Opera production of De Rosen Cavalier. Miriam met her wife and Victory Hall Opera co-founder Brenda Patterson while they were both attached to the Hamburg State Opera. And we, we reached a point where we, having, having thought that the way things worked was that we would rise up the ranks within the traditional industry and get to the top and that once we reached the top we would have all sorts of creative control over our lives. We'd get to choose projects, we'd get to choose collaborators, we'd get to choose the roles that we did. Well, this was our own naivety, I guess, because this is not the way it really works uh, within within the traditional opera industry. That industry is, whether you are a beginner or whether you are super famous is largely controlled by the people that run opera houses. And what we always knew, but what has really become very important to us, is that opera houses are not run by opera singers. Opera singers tend to be brought in at the very end of a creative process. Once the CEOs, the CFOs, the conductors, the directors, and everybody in between has decided what the project is that's going to be done, how many tickets it's going to sell, how they want to market it, how they want to produce it, And at the end, at the very end of that process, you are hired as a singer to to just sort of fill the gap of we need a singer. I notice you use the word opera industry. Yeah. When I say that, I'm talking about the the big houses. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the the big and medium-sized houses. It is a for-profit business. Uh, it, It is a business that is dependent on selling tickets because it has become very large, very overblown. So at a certain point in opera's history, it became popular in the, in, during the Romantic period of music, uh, so the late 19th and 20, early 20th century, mm-hmm. to produce spectacle opera. So opera that had thousands of people and horses and cattle and angels descending from the heavens and an orchestra of 100 people and sets that you know, were covered in real gold leaf. You know, All of this stuff became very, very popular. And... To the, and it's stuck a little bit in people's minds today as being, as being representative of all opera. So opera was not always that way at all. This was a phase that has meant that all of the large opera houses in the world have gotten to become enormous in order to be able to produce that style of opera. Now, what happens when tastes change or when the market crashes or when 
I don't know, people's attendance at live events change for whatever reason, technology or social media or just generational changes. Well, it doesn't leave those houses with much flexibility. So then what ends up happening... Now, when you say big, are they just... The space is so physically big or... Quite often. Have... Quite often they have big spaces to fill, yes. Okay. They also have big administrations and okay. big bureaucracies and big orchestras that are full-time, big choruses that are engaged on union contracts. And the casts that they have to then hire to sing are big casts to create a big spectacle. This is wonderful. We all love spectacle every now and then, and that should definitely exist in the world. However, they do not, they're just in this world, this changing world, houses like that don't have a lot of flexibility. They perhaps don't have the flexibility to try out an unknown composer, an unknown singer, or to mess around with the art form so that they're trying something people haven't seen before. They just can't take those sorts of risks because they have to sell tickets to, to support this big corporate structure. That's where we come in. So we have formed a company that is deliberately that deliberately has a small budget and a small administration so that we can be completely flexible. We don't spend all of our time fundraising, hopefully in the future. <laughs> We're not quite there yet, believe me. But uh, in years to come, we plan to not spend all of our time fundraising um, because we, we, we want to produce a art that is deliberately lean. And, what, and we see that as a, as a freedom rather than a restriction. All of our focus is on the stage and what we can bring to the stage. Um, and within that, all our focus is on the singers and advancing their craft of performing. So that's our thing. We, wanna, we, we, we don't want to blame the audience for diminishing numbers. We don't want to blame education of children for diminishing numbers. We actually kind of blame the product. We think that opera has, has fallen behind in being a relevant contemporary art form. It does not compete with the visual art world or the world of architecture in terms of experimentation, in terms of advances, in terms of reflecting modern life. And we would like to step it up a few notches. You've said this before, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> You're not my first interview. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Why Charlottesville? Well, Charlottesville's the perfect place for this because, um, you know, being the being the home of Jefferson and the home of UVA, the town's motto, I believe, at the moment is where tradition is always new. Uh, it's a town that embraces these, these sort of historical forms but is incredibly open to innovation of all kinds. Did you look at other locations? Uh, we didn't really because our co-founder Maggie Bell, who's from Charlottesville, and Brenda Patterson, about, was it 11 or 12 years ago, when they were fresh out of school, out of college, they got together some friends and they put on some operas in Charlottesville just for fun, you know, just sort of, well, let's let's put on a show, kind of old school community theater idea. Our folks think we're babes in arms, huh? Well, we'll show them whether we're babes in arms or not. I'm going to write a show for us and put it on right here in Seaport. Um, but these operas were innovative and they involved everybody in the community from, you know, from the local bakery to they had bluegrass singers in the chorus and they, they really made that 
made made those operas, those two operas that they did, products of Charlottesville. They were surprisingly a big success. They paid for themselves. People still talk about them as being such an interesting thing that happened. Miriam Gordon Stewart says the Charlottesville opera audience is special. It's an audience that values art and has a has a real generous response to it that we haven't encountered in other places. Generous in terms in of terms of the energy they give back. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if audiences are really aware of this, but as as performers, we're so sensitive to what we're getting back from you. You might think that you're sitting in the audience and that no one knows you're there, but we know. And when you're giving back that warm-hearted energy to us, it makes our experience a thousand times better and and makes our performance better too. You'll find pictures of Miriam Gordon Stewart and a link to the Victory Hall Opera website on the Spark page at WMRA.org. <laughs>